Hey, my name is Zach. I'm the lead pastor here at Restore. Thanks so much for checking out this week's message. Uh, I hope that it's encouraging to you and inspiring to you. I hope that it causes you to dive deeper into the scriptures. And I hope that you're able to do that with some people around you, with some community. Um, but if you don't have that, we would love to invite you into the community here at Restore. If you want to take a next step, get more connected, you can just go to restoreaustin.org connect, fill out a card on there, and I will personally reach out to you in the days after you do that. And if you want to grab coffee with me or just get more information about the church, I will make myself available to you for that. As you will hear, we are in this thing called a year around the table, and it really comes from this vision that God's given us that Restore would be a place where anyone has a seat at the table and everyone experiences the extravagant love of Jesus. So A, I hope that you experience the extravagant love of Jesus as you check this message out. And B, if you don't have a table to sit at, we want to invite you to Jesus' table here at Restore. Well, good morning, everyone. Man, I am excited to be here with you this morning. Before I dive in, let me go ahead and introduce myself because some of you may know who I am, but most of you probably have no idea who I am. And some of you even may be first time guests. And so let me just start off by saying that I am not Zach Lambert. Um, I am not the lead pastor at Restore. He has a little bit more hair here, and I have a little bit more hair up here. And so, yeah, that's not who I am. And if you are a guest, I want to invite you back to come and hear him teach because he is a blessing to so many of us here, and I think you would just be blessed by coming and experiencing that for yourself. But for today, you are stuck with me. And my name's Tanner Shoemake, and I'm actually the Connections Pastor for Moon Tower Church, which is Restore Austin's sister church on West Campus at the University of Texas. Any UT fans out there? Yeah, right? Man, I know it's too early, but like yesterday was such a heartbreaker. We had people over, and it just, oh. My heart just sank in those last few seconds. Anyways, but it's an exciting time at Moon Tower because today we turn a whole five weeks old. Yeah. So we're a brand new baby church, and I absolutely love being there. It's such a blessing. And I just want to say thank you so much for being a church that just has this heart to reach the UT community with the love of Jesus and just allowing me to get to be a part of that. And so I'm so thankful for you guys. I'm so thankful for my Restore family. But something else that you should know about me, and it's probably, honestly, the best thing about me, um, and that is I am married to my absolute best friend and the most amazing woman in the world, Ashley. She's right over there. She's probably getting a little embarrassed. Yeah, there, there she is. So I bring her up for two reasons, because just in case you may have saw her, see her walking around, I just want to let you know if anyone's trying to holla at a girl, um, I took Beyonce's advice, and I liked it so much that I put a ring on it, okay? So she's married, but on top of that, I just wanted to thank her. Um, for allowing me to share some really vulnerable and intimate things about today. Uh, because if you've been following along, we've been in a series called Part of the Family, and we've been looking through the Lord's Prayer, and we have come to the point in the Lord's Prayer to learn more about what it looks like to be a church family that says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. By the way, thank you, Zach, for uh, allowing me to do probably the hardest part of the prayer today. In the parking lot, he actually told me, I'm so glad that you're teaching today. So... Uh, I appreciate that. But in all seriousness, Restore, as well as Moon Tower, we hold the core value of authenticity. And so in the spirit of this topic, and also modeling that, I want to get real with you guys today. Because as I was looking at my life and just thinking about a moment of temptation that was a defining moment for me, I came to a decision that I made that was very poor when I was younger. 
So it's not something that I broadcast, but some people know about me, but not everyone, is that my marriage to Ashley is actually my second marriage. And some of you may say, it may sound strange to some of you that my first marriage is me saying that I was giving into temptation, but for me it actually really was. Because I got married for all of the wrong reasons. And in fact, when I look back at that moment and that decision, I realize that it was probably the most selfish decision that I had ever made. I got married because I was tired of being alone. I got married because I just joined the military, and honestly, I was a little scared. I got married because uh, she promised me things. I got married because I thought I could change her to be this better person. I got married because she wasn't in this great place, and as silly as it sounds, I wanted to play house and be the hero. But the thing is, is when I really think about my first marriage, and I realize that when I gave into this temptation, it didn't just cause me heartache, but it caused so many people around me heartache as well. You see, she, she didn't really like my family, and so anytime we were all together, um, it caused issues which put strain on my relationships with them. Um, she uh, used physical intimacy as a manipulation tool against me, in order to, and it brought trauma into my current marriage with my wife that she shouldn't have had to go through that we had to deal with and work through really early on in our marriage. I lost friendships over this marriage. I even had, uh, she even had a daughter, and I had a stepdaughter. And when we divorced, I was told I couldn't have a relationship with her anymore. And I constantly wonder how this has affected and shaped her. Giving into this temptation hurt me tremendously, but it also caused so much damage to the people around me. Have you ever given into a temptation that not only hurt you, but hurt the people around you too? I mean, maybe your example is not as extreme as mine, or maybe it's more extreme than mine. I don't know. I don't know you. But the fact is, is that we all experience temptation. It could be as simple as lying to a spouse to avoid an argument, or lying on a job resume to get a job that maybe you're not quite qualified for, or it could be further where you've had an affair, or you've fudged numbers at work to make your business look better. We all experience temptation. Heck, Zach, a couple weeks ago, talked about how we we're tempted to hoard our excess resources in order to give us this illusion of personal safety and security. For some reason, we feel the need to seize control of the things and the situations around us, and we may be even willing to cross the line just a smidge or give up some sort of freedom to gain certain things. And I think this temptation magnifies for us when we have the chance to realize and accomplish our own personal dreams and accomplishments and ambitions. We are regularly being tempted and maybe even encouraged to take shortcuts to paths of things that benefit us most. But this isn't just something that we deal with today. This is something that we've actually been dealing with throughout history. I mean, think about how many times we've heard or read about companies, businesses, governments, and people embezzling money or resources in order to have their own personal gain not caring about who they hurt during the process. Heck, for hundreds of years, the American church aligned with slavery because it brought them power. And still today, many American churches and many Christians, we still align with political agendas and people and businesses and powers in order to retain power or gain more power. We are constantly being tempted to pursue things that will benefit us most. And I believe that when Jesus asked us to pray, lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil, he had a particular temptation in mind. 
He had a particular temptation in mind, and at the root of this particular temptation lies our greatest temptation. And so the questions that I want to answer today are, what is this temptation and evil we are told to pray about, and how do we fight it? What is this temptation and evil we're told to pray about, and how do we fight it? And to answer this question, I think a great place for us to start is at the recording of the very first temptation to ever take place. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Genesis 3. Um, it's the very, if you're not sure where that is, it's the very first book of the Bible. But uh, if you're like me and honestly only bring your Bible when you're teaching on that Sunday, uh, we'll have all the verses on the screen. And I'm going to be jumping around a little bit anyway, so that may even be best for you. But before we dive into Genesis 3, I think it's very important for us to have some context to what's going, up, going on leading up to this temptation I'm talking about. Because it'll make a lot more sense, and there's two very, quite long chapters before that. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to summarize kind of what's happening and hit the main important parts for us. So before Genesis 3, God has just created the world and everything in it. He's created all the plants, all the animals, everything. And then God decides he's going to make humans, and he says, let us make them in our image. And so God makes the first human, which is a man, and then realizes that man isn't strong enough on his own. And so, in fact, this is actually the first thing. Making man is the first thing God says is not good in the whole creation account because they weren't strong enough. Think about that for a second, guys. Um, And so what he does, he says, all right, it's not good for man to be alone. And so God makes another human woman in a place of strength that man was lacking so that they together can, quote, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours yours for food, and all the beasts of the earth, and all the birds in the sky, and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it. I give every green plant for food, and it was so. And so essentially what's happening is God makes human in his image, tells them that together they are stronger, and if they remain in relationship with him and not eat from a certain tree that we're going to read about a little bit later, they will be taken care of. They will be fully taken care of in any way, in every way that they could imagine. And on top of that, they get to oversee his kingdom. Like, they're naming animals and stuff. It's pretty awesome. I mean, that's a really great gig, right? Like, if you think about it, that's a really awesome job. They get all the benefits in the world that we could ever dream of right here. But let's see what happens. Genesis 3, starting in verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat When you eat from it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. So some of you may know there's actually more to this story, but right here we're going to focus in because this particular part is what's happening in this particular part is we are witnessing the very first temptation to ever take place. And this first temptation gives us so much insight into our greatest temptation as humans. So you see, up to this point, Adam and Eve are more like God than they can ever be. They're more like God than they can ever be. I mean, they're ruling over the earth and everything in it, and they get to keep doing this by remaining in relationship with God. 
And then the serpent comes along, which is the evil one, which we find out a little bit later that this is the evil one, this is Satan, comes along and makes them start questioning things, particularly things about God's heart for them, saying, did God really say? And if we look closely at the text, we see that the temptation, temptation that they ultimately give into is to have everything that they already have, but without God. Adam and Eve were already like God as much as they ever would be, and their ultimate temptation was to have everything that they already had, but on their own. Their temptation was to enter into an individualistic mindset and live as if their actions only affected them. But, as many of you know, that's, that's not the case, what happens here. Humankind saying yes to this temptation right here has caused a ripple effect, a chain reaction throughout history that all humans have had to deal with. I mean, it's the reason that we have death, destruction, and hate in our world. And at the root of this temptation is where our greatest temptation lies, because our greatest temptation is to live as individuals. Our greatest temptation is to live as if our actions only affect us. You see, at the beginning of Genesis, we are told that we are specifically designed to be in relationship. Not just relationship with God, but with one another as well. I mean, God's very being is a relationship. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Three in one, all together. But on top of that, he said, when he makes the first human, he says it's not good for them to be alone. And so he makes another. Why? Because he knew that we were wired to be in relationship with others. So now, hear me, some of you, I don't want you to get this messed up because some of you may be thinking that I'm saying it's bad to be an individual or be unique. That's not what I'm saying at all. And in fact, I think the more diverse and unique we are, and as a church we are, the bigger picture we get of who God is. And so that's not what I'm talking about. But what I am saying is that when we give into the temptation to live individualistically, as if our actions only affect us, we are tearing against the very fabric of the way that we were designed. Our actions do affect others because God created us to be linked to one another. A guy named Paul echoes this a little bit later in the Bible when he compares us to the human body. And the conclusion of it is that when one of us hurts, we all hurt. And so to say or to live as if our actions only affect ourselves couldn't be further from the truth. We are linked together. It is how we were made and it is who we are. So that's great information, but fighting this temptation isn't easy. It's it's not easy. We live in a world, in a society that tells us to do what is best for ourselves, to live individualistically, to do what makes us happy. Now, hear me, please don't hear me saying that like, hey, Tanner said, don't told us not to take care of ourselves and to do what makes us happy. That's not what I'm saying at all. But what I am saying is that when we make these things our sole purpose in life, our sole purpose, focus, it has communal consequences. And the thing is, is I think Jesus knew this. I think he knew this, and on top of that, I think he knew this was going to be a struggle for us. And it's not just because he's 100% God and all-knowing, but because he was also 100% human. And he also experienced a similar test, a similar temptation against the evil one that Adam and Eve faced as well. Let Let me show you about this story. It happens in Matthew 4. It goes like this. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. 
The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord God, Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended him. So right here, this is happening in Matthew 4, just before Jesus delivers his famous Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, which ends with the Lord's Prayer that we have been studying, we find Jesus in the wilderness with Satan for 40 days. Philip Yancey, in his book, The Jesus I Never Knew, describes this as a showdown of sorts that's happening where Satan is kind of like sizing up Jesus in this moment when he says, as I read the temptation story, it occurs to me that in the absence of eyewitnesses, all details must have come from Jesus himself. For some reason, Jesus felt obliged to disclose to his disciples this moment of struggle and personal weakness. I presume the temptation was a genuine conflict, not a role Jesus acted out with a prearranged outcome. The same tempter who had found a fatal spot of vulnerability in Adam and Eve aimed his thrust against Jesus with deadly accuracy. And so this is why I think that this moment is a major, major event that shaped Jesus and his ministry for the rest of his life. Because while Jesus is in the wilderness, he's being tested and tempted in his humanity. Think about it. It says that he's tested by hunger, by health, by physical safety, by the kingdoms of the world, by God's love for him. The evil one essentially saying, did God really say just like he did to Adam and Eve in the garden? The difference here is that Jesus actually possessed the power to benefit and prove himself right here. Like, he had the power to do this, but he chose not to use his miraculous powers to benefit himself. Why? Because he had others in mind. You see, in fact, every time we see Jesus do something miraculous and, like, flex his strength and his powers, it's never at the benefit of himself, but at the benefit of another. If you look throughout the Bible at all his miracles, it's always at the benefit of another person, never at the benefit of himself. And Jesus' time in the wilderness is a moment that shaped him. And I believe this is why he tells us to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Because from this moment on, we see that Jesus is constantly tested in his ministry to prove himself to others. Whether that was the religious leaders or crowds or the governments of the day, his entire public life was shrouded with testing, temptation, and trial. In fact, this isn't the last time we actually see this prayer in the Lord's Prayer. He brings it up again in another huge moment of struggle for him. When he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, He's with his disciples, and he's about to be arrested and taken to his death. And he tells his disciples to watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And in that same moment, he's praying pretty much the exact same prayers, asking God to take this cup from me, to not lead me into this testing, to deliver me from the evil one. And then we see it again, actually, when he's hanging on the cross suffocating 
dying, people are shouting, come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. Both times he is being tested to act in self-preservation. But he ultimately says no and turns away from this temptation. He could have used his miraculous powers. I mean, if you look through the Bible, his powers are amazing. Like He brings back someone from the dead. He raises someone who's crippled and lets them walk. He heals so, so many sick people. He does all of these crazy, awesome things. And so he could have used his powers right here to save himself, but he didn't. Why? Because of you. He chose to suffer this because he had you in mind. You see, Jesus went through the ultimate temptation to deliver us from the ultimate evil. And because of this, we now have him living inside of us. We too can be a people, a family, who fights temptation and evil in our lives and our world. We were designed for relationship. And when Adam and Eve fell for this first temptation, we all lost something. But because of Jesus' selfless act on the cross, we now have a shared Holy Spirit inside of us that makes us all family. This is how we fight temptation and evil. Together. Um, earlier, I, uh, I mentioned that my first marriage caused so much damage, not just to my life, but the people around me as well. But here's the thing. God is a God of redemption. He is a God of restoration. And he is on it. It's been a lot of hard work, but he's repaired many of those and, some, and strengthened some of those relationships. But here's the thing. Here's the thing that I really want us to grasp. A huge reason, huge reason that I was able to get through the fallout of getting through and get, of giving into this temptation was because he also brought me to a group of believers who loved me through it. Though many of my relationships were hurt by this, I had a church family that loved me through it and loved me selflessly. And when the time came for me to finally say that enough was enough, I really didn't have many places to go. And all I really had was clothes when it's all said and done. And that's when my church family came around me and a group of guys said, hey, come live with me. I had people donate, help me find a truck so I could get to work. I had people donate dressers and desks and beds and kitchen stuff, all sorts of things. My church family came around me in this moment. You see, our, our greatest temptation is to live as if our actions do not affect those around us. But we fight this temptation by coming together, leaning into relationship with one another, and allowing the Holy Spirit to work in and through us as a body of believers as a family, to help those around us. N.T. Wright, in his book, um, The Lord and His Prayer, gives us this beautiful picture of what it looks like and what it takes for us to, as a family, pray and live out this prayer. To allow the Spirit to lead us from temptation and deliver us from evil when he says, to pray, deliver us from evil or from the evil one, is to inhale the victory of the cross and thereby to hold the line for another moment, another hour, another day against the forces of destruction within ourselves and the world. To pray earnestly, do not let us be led to the test, deliver us from evil. This is the part of the prayer for the kingdom. 
It is the prayer that forces of destruction, of dehumanization, of anti-creation, of anti-redemption may be bound and gagged. And that's God's good world may escape from being sucked down into the morass. It is our responsibility as we pray this prayer to hold God's precious and precarious world before our gaze. To sum up, it's often articulate cries for help, to rescue, for deliverance, deliver us from the horror of war, deliver us from human folly and the appalling accidents it can produce. Let us not become a society of rich fortresses and cardboard cities. Let us not be engulfed by social violence or by self-righteous reaction. Save us from the arrogance and pride and the awful things they make people do. Save us from ourselves and deliver us from the evil one. So here's what all this means. Here's what all this is boiling down to. Um, it just mean, it means restore uh, family. We cannot pray this prayer from a distance. We can't pray this prayer from a distance, and we can't distance ourselves from each other and ourselves to be people who are primarily out for self-interest and gain. I mean, the fact is, and the truth is, you know this, our world already has plenty of that, and it doesn't need any more. We need to be active in this prayer. We need our world to see us as a family bond together for the benefit of our neighbors. To show and to, to show and to declare that evil has already been defeated. I love you guys. Let me pray. God, I just thank you so much for this truth. Um, God, you are so good. And uh, I'm so thankful, um, man, that uh, you are so relatable. That there's nothing that we have gone through or go through that you don't know as well. Um, and God, I pray and I'm so thankful that when you are being brought to be tested in such these crazy ways to, for, to act in self-preservation, that um, you had us in mind and you said no. Because you knew that we would be stronger together and by the power of your spirit, we can do amazing things and defeat evil in our world. And so, God, I pray that's who we would be. That's restore, who Restore would be, that they would be a family and that we would all be a family that just bonds together for the benefit of our neighbors to show the world that you have conquered evil, that you love so hard, and, the God, that we would just be known for the way we love people, that our love would overflow out of this place and into our city and into our world, God. God, I thank you for just, um, just this place and these people to allow us to be vulnerable and authentic. And God, for your spirit to be working through them. And so, I, God, I just pray that that would continue here and that you would just strengthen that. And that's ultimately what we would be known for. We love you so much. Guide us as you so see fit. Amen.